0: Good morning. morning. How are we? Good. Cool. <laughs> uh, my name is Jim, and uh, I am here to bring you uh, the message today. I, just as a, a way of introduction, uh, an intro for myself. Because I find that if I don't um, explain anything to you about who I am, you may be wondering um, who I am and and why I say some of the things that I say, et cetera, et cetera. I also wonder why I say some of the things that I say, but (laughs) uh, I don't That's another story. Um, I am from Summerland is where I grew up. Uh, I... um, I don't really need to say anything more about that. I became a Christian, um, like I grew up in the Catholic Church and I became a Christian, really encountered Jesus, um, I think new and fresh, or for the first time, whatever you will, through Summerland Alliance Church and the ministry of the, the youth pastor and the youth group there. I felt a call to ministry um, in my grade 12 year and then um, went to Regina to Canadian Bible College to train as a, as a pastor. I worked then um, for about 15 years in three different Alliance churches, one in Kamloops, uh, one in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and then most recently in Estevan, Saskatchewan um, within, within the Alliance. Um, Recently, uh, my family and I, back in the fall of 2018, we moved back to BC. Uh, My parents are still in Summerland, as is my sister, uh, and my wife's family um, is kind of scattered around uh, Kamloops, Penticton, uh, and down in the Lower Mainland. And so we wanted to be closer to family, and we felt as though it was time to uh, move for my wife's career as opposed to mine. And so we, um, she found work through Interior Health as a um, mental health therapist, and uh, she's been she's working out in uh, Karameas uh, doing that. My family isn't able to be here this morning as our kids have been sick over the holidays, and, and uh, so she's at home with them now. I have since then been on a break from pastoring. I don't know if it's a permanent break or a temporary break. That's not my business, I suppose, and every now and then I... Uh, torture myself about what the future holds, but um, it is what it is and that, that is that. I uh, have found somehow I stumbled into uh, writing for an organization uh, that helps um, service business owners, electricians, and, and uh, plumbers and, and heating people uh, run their business as well and lead their people uh, with, with more skill uh, and, and compassion and care. And so I've somehow stumbled into that Uh, which has given me the ability to uh, work and to also care for my kids and and be there for them as they need me. Our kids are uh, 10 and 8, two girls, and so they... uh yeah, they still need somebody kicking around <laughs> every now and then. Um, I am grateful for the opportunity to speak with you here. It's been a couple of months since I preached. Uh, so the rambling is probably the rust just sort of coming off. I, uh, I preached for about three months in Summerland um, earlier this year as Pastor Rick uh, Gay was, was away for a sabbatical. I filled the pulpit there uh, and I've had a couple opportunities at Penticton Alliance where we're currently attending uh, to preach as well. That's a couple of things about me, um, and now I feel like we can probably move forward. (laughs) Let's pray, uh, and then we'll carry on. Uh, Jesus, we want to give this time to you. We ask that you would uh, show yourself to us, God, that as we look through the word, as we um, turn to your son Jesus, the things that he has said, the things that he has done. Father, the other things that you have laid out for us uh, in Scripture, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to understand what we need uh, to understand, that you would show us the things that we need to see, and that your word would cut into our lives in such a way that we can have uh, some of what doesn't belong in us removed, that we may fill ourselves uh, with more and more of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, move within this place. Um, it is my heart and my desire, God, that we would see You, uh, and and not so much me. So, Father, um, speak Your word, speak Your truth. Use me as You can. Um, this is Your time. In Your name, I pray. Amen. Um, I was told that on the bulletin, I think it does have the title for the sermon. Uh, Jesus grew, I believe, is what it says. You can, or if it doesn't say that, somebody was shaking their head. Anyway, uh, if there is a title for the sermon, pay no attention to it. (laughs) Um, Sometimes, I don't know if you have this experience, you're putting something together, and it just is not coming together. Uh, That's that. So you're going to get something different this morning. It's very much not Christmassy (laughs) at all, uh, but it's uh, about the Bible and Jesus and and all that. So it is Christmassy. Because it's about Jesus. Anyway, sorry. Um, just so as not to disappoint anybody or to take anybody by surprise, uh, what we are going to be looking at today um, is a passage in Matthew chapter five. It's the Sermon on the Mount, um, verses twenty-one to twenty-six in 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 chapter five. It's partway in, um, and so we're jumping into. Uh, a bunch of stuff that Jesus has already said it's in kind of not the middle but near the beginning of the sermon it's after the Beatitudes and a couple of other things but it is specifically dealing with the subject of anger. Um, this was a sermon that I preached um, uh, when I was asked at Pentecostal Alliance they had been working through um, the Sermon on the Mount for a while and this was uh, something that I kinda came into. When I was given the passage to sort of look at I had to laugh um, because I'm an angry person I have been an angry person and I still struggle with anger and so God in his wisdom uh, and his sense of humor I believe um, sometimes gifts people with the things that they need to work through themselves uh, to then help other people to see it as well and so what I bring to you today um, is something that I have struggled with am still struggling through Uh, And I'm not coming from a place of, I have solved this all, but maybe I have uh, some wisdom and insight to bring as well. I was an angry kid Uh, growing up. I struggled with anger all the time. I became... Uh, so frustrated in different situations that I wanted to break things. Like maybe this is normal for children, um, but this is how it came to me. Like playing video games with the original Nintendo, a you know, little rectangular controller. And when Mario did not jump the way that I wanted him to, uh, feeling like it would be good for me to just twist and break the controller. I was never strong enough <laughs> to actually break a controller, but there was that anger that existed within me. I got into a lot of fights at school and there was a, ye- a lot of yelling at home. Uh, that I had. When I became a Christian uh, around the age of 15, this was where I really saw God shift things in me. Almost immediately, um, anger began to subside. Like that was one of those areas of my life that right away God just came in, identified, and really gave me his grace on to be able to overcome some of that stuff. But at the beginning uh, of anything, whether it's you know a, a new workout regime, or a new job, or, or whatever it is, everything seems to work a little bit uh, smoother and faster and, and well. And, and as you go kind of along, uh, things become a little bit harder. And so as I saw anger subside initially, um, I hadn't done the work that really kept anger out of my life in the way that I needed to. And so I was still an angry person. I still struggle with interpersonal conflicts. I struggled as a pastor with with some of those relationships with people. Um, I struggle at home with my children to have the patience that I need to uh, with them. My anger has diminished, but um, it is still a fight that I have. I'm also very confused about anger because I know that anger is a basic emotion that anger is something that we've been created with. It's not something that is foreign to us. It is one of our basic emotions that we have. God is described as getting angry, having wrath, that there is something within him that he has placed within us. So anger is something that we have been created with. Anger teaches us things about ourselves. How I react to something can show me Um, Some of my own insecurities or some emotional truths that I need to understand about myself. Um, And anger can help us when we need to stand up for ourselves because we're being taken advantage of and we feel anger rise up within us. It can give us the strength to be able to overcome certain things. Um, Anger tends to be frowned upon in society. Um, If somebody gets angry in public, it's an incredibly tense situation, correct? Have you been in a public situation where somebody is visibly angry? (laughs) There is like palpable tension in the room that you're there. Maybe you've been that person and you haven't noticed that, but uh, it's there. When we are angry in public situations, other people are, uh, we are very, very uncomfortable. Maybe kids are screaming uh, in a grocery store and and everybody's like, oh no, Uh, or we get angry at work or whatever it is. We don't like seeing it in public, but we love seeing it on TV. Or we love watching uh, our coach, not our coach, but maybe somebody else's coach get angry at them. If our sports team, uh, whoever your favorite sports team is, is not performing the way that they are should be performing or you want them to be performing, you wanna see that coach get angry at them because that's gonna motivate them to get a little bit better. So I get confused about anger because there's certain places where we are very uncomfortable with it, but there's other places where we actually treat it kind of like Uh, entertainment, (laughs) that it's something that we long to see and love to see. You know, um, one of the things that confuses me about anger as well um, is that some of the angriest people that I've met are Christians. Now, it's not as though many Christians that I've come across are Oozing aggression um, or violence, but that there is something that is seething below the surface. There is just a general sense of of anger and rage that if you say the wrong thing, if you believe a different thing, um, or if you maybe stand up for yourselves or confront somebody that has that anger seething down below the surface it's gonna explode out and you're gonna see it very very quickly and it's very ugly for a people that claims to follow the Prince of Peace this idea of rage within us just doesn't really seem to fit uh, with the image of, of the God that we follow the Bible is also somewhat Confusing when it comes to anger. I hope that I'm okay to say that um, But it is for me you can come across the story uh, of Moses um, when the people are in the uh, Desert and Moses has gone up to meet with God and, and to get the commandments from him and he comes down and the people have created a Golden calf even though they have seen God a, a few of them have seen God they are making an image to worship that is not the God that they have seen and Moses gets angry at them. And a number of people uh, die because of what happened and then the, the consequences of what happens there. And that this is something that is uh, promoted as good as you read it. There, there, this, is, this was good that, that this anger kind of took place. When you have the story of, uh, of David who, who slept with Bathsheba and then the prophet Nathan comes to him and confronts him, and tells him a story about a rich man who had all of these things, yet he took this one uh, possession from, from another poor man. And David responded with such rage. We see that that rage is used um, to show David what it is that he did. When Jesus comes into the temple at one point in time in his ministry and he sees people... Uh, selling their products, trying to take advantage of other people by overcharging or taking up space that didn't belong to them. And Jesus comes in and it says that he flips over tables and that he forms a, a cord of uh, a, a whip and that he is angry. I can't imagine him flipping over a table with a very serene look on his face. I don't know that that's like possible for somebody to do. That He had to be angry at this point in time. There is anger that we see uh, within Scripture that is not condemned and that is even um, celebrated. But then you come across passages in the New Testament from Paul, and when he talks about, uh, when, when he lists sins that we are supposed to not do, anger is always in it. Always. When he says, don't do this, don't be like this, Stay away from this. Anger is always in those lists. Proverbs refers to anger as the mark of a fool over and over again. Um, and Timothy, or Paul, sorry, to, to, his, uh, to his younger follower Timothy, says that anger doesn't fit with a prayerful life. That there are these different messages that we have about anger uh, within our lives within the world, and, and most confusingly for me, I think, within Scripture. Um, and so Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, to me, uh, is an important passage to look at to sort of see what it is that Jesus says about anger. And, and, and maybe this can bring some clarity. Uh, maybe you're not confused, but, but maybe this can bring some clarity to what uh, the role of anger is Uh, within the life of a Christian, and and is it something that is okay? And so in in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to that now as we're going to read it. I am reading from the New Living Translation, um, and it says this. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court, and if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So, if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly, otherwise your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. So verses 21 to 22. You have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. This is referring to the Ten Commandments. Jesus saying, these are the laws that you have, this is one thing that you have heard. And, and, and throughout this section of scripture, Jesus does that a couple of times. You have heard this, yet I tell you this. And he's not changing anything, uh, but he is giving uh, more things for people to consider. So you have heard, don't murder someone. This is our standard. <laughs> Just don't kill anybody. It's fine. Uh, But then Jesus says, I say, if you're even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. So Jesus is equating anger to murder in this passage. Agreement? Okay. (laughs) Jesus is saying uh, anger is the same or similar uh, to murder. Now, we can look at this and we can say that that sin is sin. That's why Jesus is saying this. That there is no uh, big sin, there is no small sin. Maybe there's more obvious sin uh, and there's more invisible sin, but we can say that sin is sin. If we do this, it is a violation of what God wants us to do. And that anger is no less sinful or dangerous uh, than murder. And that all of this leads to judgment and consequences. Whether it is now, um, that murder would have immediate consequences, or whether it's later, that anger has consequences that are a little bit further off in the future. We may not experience them now, but they are coming. Whether it's uh, a destroyed relationship, whether it is loneliness, whether it is the loss of a job, whatever it may be, anger has consequences. The other way that we can look at this, that we can say that anger is the same as murder or that that Jesus is teaching that, is that um, sin leads to more sin or that less visible sin leads to more obvious sin. That the heart is the birthplace of our actions and attitude or our actions, the things that we do. Our attitude leads to our actions that um, in Matthew chapter 15, Jesus says, and in speaking to an audience, um, from the heart come evil thoughts. It's the heart that defiles you. It's not what you put into your body. It is what is within your heart that defiles you. From the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, all sexual immorality, theft, lying, and slander. These are what defile you. And that in James chapter one, verses 14 and 15, Uh, James writes, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. That our sinfulness starts within our hearts, and that it may seem small that I'm angry or frustrated at something is maybe a very small thing, but if we allow it to grow, it can lead to Uh, much worse things. That we are told to think on holy and godly things. That we are told to take every thought captive. That whatever it is that we let in, uh, the words that we speak in the silence of our hearts and our minds gives birth eventually uh, to what it is that we will do. That when we focus on the things that are negative and wrong, it is going to eventually lead us to that behavior. And so in this sense, we can look and we can say that, that anger is murder. That it is the pathway to murder and that Jesus isn't even necessarily identifying that it is a pathway, but he is saying that both these things are, are wrong, dangerous, and evil. Okay? Everybody doing okay? <laughs> um. Jesus changes at this point in time. He, he takes into, uh, uh, to give a couple of examples. So he, he explains that, that anger um, is sin. As murder is sin, anger is sin. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. How you treat someone matters just as much as if or if you don't kill them. <laughs> Um, Jesus then goes on to give a couple of examples. And I feel like I need to explain before we move into the examples, um, just to call your attention to an earlier section of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is teaching about uh, the law. He says that I haven't come, sorry, in verse 17 of of chapter 5, I didn't come to abolish the law but I came to fulfill it. So he didn't come to, to do away with the law to say This stuff doesn't matter anymore, but he came to uh, fulfill the purpose of the law. And so I think to understand what Jesus begins to say in the next couple of uh, examples, we need to understand what the purpose of the law is. And there's a couple of different purposes of the law in the sense that the law we learn from Galatians is there to protect us, that it was a guardian uh, for us until Jesus came, that it was there to reveal our sin to us, that as we experience anger or even murderous thoughts, that the law tells us this is wrong and you need to uh, remove these things from yourselves or turn to the one who can remove these things from you. That these are both the purpose of the law. But I think that the purpose of the law that I want you to keep in mind at this point in time is that the law was meant to draw us back into proper relationship with God and with others. A huge part of the law was uh, sin offerings, that making an offering to God. There's, there's huge sections of uh, the, the, the Pentateuch that talk about how it is that you are to make these offerings to God so that you can be right with him, right? You're to sacrifice this, you're to do this, so that your sin can be... Um, covered and and washed away, that you are made right with God, and that you are made right with other people. That was the purpose, one one of the biggest purposes of the law, that is to draw us closer to God and his people. Now, anger isolates us from others. Anger destroys relationship. Anger drives us away from other people. It alienates people from us, and anger breaks community, and it destroys unity, which... I think is why Jesus goes on to talk about these next two examples. And so the first one is this. If you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, someone is offering a sacrifice to God. They are offering up that sacrifice for uh, the forgiveness of their sins, or as thanksgiving to God. Yet, they are coming, in this example, with uh, an attitude of uh, hatred and anger towards another person. Or someone actually has something against them. Someone has something against them. So they're coming to bring an offering. They want to be made right with God. But there is something that someone has against them and they remember that the 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 jesus says if you remember that someone has something against you not you're angry with somebody else if you remember that something that you did hurt somebody that you have caused a break in relationship through your actions you need to leave your offering and you need to go and make it right with that person I think it's fascinating that this example says if, if you remember that you did something wrong. Because if, have you ever tried to go to somebody that you're angry with <laughs> to tell them how angry you are at them and said, you need to apologize. How's that work for you? Badly. I imagine <laughs> when I have done this, it works incredibly badly. Uh, the way that we actually can uh, recover a broken relationship is typically to own our part uh, in that relationship. It's not to point out the thing that that other person did. <laughs> that puts people on the defensive right away. Uh, that, create, that just f- further separates uh, you from one another. And so that this example, Jesus says, you go because you've done something wrong and you deal with this, um, to me is, is deeply profound. There are other places where it says that, yes, um, we should go and if somebody is in sin, we should go and confront them, but that's not this passage. And I think that it's significant that Jesus is saying, um, you own your anger and you go do something about this. You know, we can't force somebody to forgive us. We can't make a relationship uh, better. Uh, we can't mend it Uh magically through our own through, through calling somebody else out, uh, but we can own our part and go to them and say, I have done wrong and I need to uh, apologize for this. We need to own our anger. So the things that we have done to other people, the things that we have lashed out at others about, the things that we are holding against other people, that's something that we can deal with, whether it's on our own or whether it is that we need to go uh, to them. And if we know that we need to go to somebody, and apologize or reconcile something that we have done. Uh, we need to deal with it directly and promptly. The person in this account is bringing an offering to God, which in this uh, in 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 Judaism was a very um, crucial thing to do. This was in a very this is a very important action that they were doing. It's not that they were cooking food or watching their favorite show, and all of a sudden it's like, oh no, I gotta go apologize to somebody, and they could just leave it. This was their act of worship to the God who was the God of everything, most important above all things. And what they are being told in this sense is that you leave this act of worship, and you go deal with this other thing. The word for go, go and be reconciled, is go away. (laughs) Get out of here. And this is what it makes me think. It makes me think of, of how useless it is for us to come to God with our praise, with an offering, and say, Oh God, you are so great. Do this for me. Help me with this. I love you. Yet have... Hatred in our hearts for our brothers and sisters in Christ or in our, you know, real families. I, I feel as though we miss the point when we don't take our broken relationships seriously. Matthew chapter 6 verses 14 and 15 say, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. There's the passage, the, the parable that Jesus tells of the unforgiving debtor. There is a, a king, or a ruler, who is owed a massive amount of money that a person cannot pay back. And they're going to throw that person into debtor's prison. The person pleads for mercy and he receives it. His debt is forgiven completely. He then wanders out of the courtroom or the castle or whatever and he goes and he sees somebody that owes him some money that is significant, nowhere near uh, what this individual owed themselves. Uh, And they see the person and they say, give me this money. And the person almost repeats word for word, what that other one had said to the king and said, forgive me, have mercy. Uh, but rather than showing mercy, remembering the mercy that he's experienced, he says, nope, you're going to prison and you will be there with your family until you pay it all back. The king catches word of this and says, you didn't get it. <laughs> you really didn't get it. And the, that man is the one that ends up getting thrown into prison. while we no longer bring sacrifices to God, in in that sense uh, of bringing an animal offering, we do come to church to offer ourselves to God and to connect and reconnect to him, that we offer our praises, our finances, our service, our ears, our hearts, our hopes, and our lives. Yet if we do this, while willfully holding on to bitterness and anger towards our neighbor, uh, the person in the pulpit, not me because you just met me, or the people on the side of the church that you used to sit on we may be wasting our time time with god and god's people can work to heal and deal with our anger that as we give it to god as god confronts us maybe in certain situations it is he works within our hearts there is space for that to happen yet it's so easy for us to use church and the activities that we do to kind of distract us from the junk in our lives and the junk that exists between us and other people and call it holy and good. We feel good, but we quickly lose that feeling as we head out of church and we get frustrated with the service at restaurants or we start bad-mouthing the worship team or tech issues or the pastors or the volunteers or we yell at our kids and our spouse once we get home. I think that that this is a good reminder of how much we need Jesus when we do experience these things, but we need to deal with our inner life. We need to work on our anger. We need to allow God to expose it um, and not just cover it with a pretty facade. If we're holding on to anger and bitterness, refusing to own our part in it and resisting the call to deal with it, it should be no surprise that church doesn't make our hearts sing Or that God has grown distant or silent. As annoying as it is, (laughs) our connection with God is so deeply connected to our connection with one another. Love God and love each other. That is the greatest commandment. It's not, this is a great commandment, love God. This one's also pretty good, love other people. (laughs) Love God and love one another. Our connections with one another affect our connection with God. And our anger destroys our connections with people, which will eventually drive us away from God and puts us in very grave danger. When I talk about anger, um, time-wise? Okay. <laughs> I always ask that uh, when I'm at churches, and it's like, who's going to say, no, shut up, Stop. <laughs> You're all too polite to tell me to get off the stage, so I'll just keep going. Um, when I talk to, when I, when I end up talking with people about anger, whether it's in a, a teaching context or, or kind of one-on-one or, or in small group settings, there is typically uh, someone that will bring up um, the verse, Ephesians chapter four uh, verse twenty six. And Ephesians chapter four verse 26, um, the first part of it anyway, I believe, says don't sin by letting anger control you. Or in your anger, do not sin. So typically someone will bring this and they'll say, see, you can be angry and not sin. Well, <laughs> okay. Uh, I, I see that. Um, there are a whole lot of other examples as to where anger is referred to as sin. And, and uh, I, don't, I, I don't write this off, but I bring this up because I know that somebody's got this in their mind. Uh, I know that they do. Um, Ephesians 4, chapter 26, in your anger, do not sin. Therefore, I can be angry, and, and it's not a sin. Um, and we have to take all scripture into consideration. I don't want to ignore uh, one verse because I don't like it. Uh, not that I don't like it. Uh, but that we can misuse it to make our own case. Typically, if I can also say this, because I don't know who has this on their mind. <laughs> Usually the people that bring this up are themselves very, very angry people. Um, and they have had this verse to fuel or excuse their anger. Does that makes sense? We find something that that lets us off the hook uh, for our bad behavior, and we hold on to it with dear, for our dear life. Um, but I want to consider I do want to take it into consideration. I know that we are created as people and that we have, uh, we can get angry. That there are reasons for us to be angry. Um, and I get it, too. I understand why we want to hold on to our anger, because anger gets stuff done. <laughs> Doesn't it? F- if your kids are misbehaving or your grandkids are misbehaving, if you yell at them, that gets them moving a whole lot faster. Especially if, you're not, if they're not used to you yelling, um, they will, they'll, they'll be freaked out and they'll get moving a little bit more. You have to raise, your, you have to raise the volume like, more and more and more as time goes along, but anger gets stuff done. If your employees aren't following your instructions or they're not working the way that you think they should, well, you can just go on a, on a total rant Uh, in the break room uh, at everybody and you know for a while people will probably do what it is that you want them to do. If people uh, on the internet uh, aren't agreeing with your perspective you can just put on the put on the caps lock and just type everything in all capital letters as it goes along (laughs) and maybe people will listen to you a little bit more because you're using your anger. If your pastor isn't preaching or leading the way you want, you can call a board member or talk with people in the lobby afterwards or you can share your discontent and give them a piece of your mind. And, and if you're angry enough, that might get around to the person that will eventually do something about it. Anger motivates. But the way that I see God work so often in my life in Scripture, is not through forcing obedience, but it's through inspiring it. It is through compelling us through His kindness and love and His power to follow Him because He is so good, not because He is so mad. (laughs) But it's worth asking this question when it comes to anger. Where anger could be good is in what it helps you to accomplish. What does your anger bring you to do? What are the results that it brings? So often in my life, my anger produces uh, nothing fruitful. Nothing fruitful. If I think about the things that I've been angry about over the last week, none of those things are on God's heart. (laughs) Like the the things that have bothered me about uh, traffic going too slow, or the fact that uh, my family is sick again that I have no control over. It's not that God doesn't have them on His heart, but I can't change that in this moment. The fact that um, you know an ad on TV annoyed me, or something that somebody said as an as an offhanded remark like bothered me, and I'm you know thinking about it at night while I'm in my bed or whatever. Um, that hasn't produced anything good within me and it hasn't produced anything good within the world. But there are moments where anger can produce action that matters. When we see uh, an injustice done, and that we allow the anger at that, the things that we feel to then bring us to do something uh, that is good and right within the world. If we are angry about abortion, what does that make you do? Does that make you adopt somebody into your family? That's a good action to come from anger towards something like abortion. If we are angry about, um, uh, I don't know if people are angry about tax cuts. Sometimes they do because it means that programs uh, don't happen, that people need. And if we get angry about things getting cut, um, what does that lead you to do? Will it get you to create a Um, Oh, the word of it just totally slipped my mind. What's that? Fundraiser. Fundraiser. Yeah, that's a better one. I was going to say, like, uh, get a list of names of people that are all angry and then send it to somebody. (laughs) 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 Petition. Are you going to do a fundraiser? Are you going to put your own money towards making something happen and inspire other people to do the same thing? What does your anger produce in you? Does it produce action? Does it produce sorrow so that you yourself in your life can, can change or bring change about? For our anger to be good, I think that it must produce righteous things. Things that are close to God's heart. God doesn't get angry for no reason just because he's annoyed at something. There is purpose behind it. There is meaning to it. There is strength there and it brings him to do something about it. This is where I think anger can be good. But this is not whatever happens in my life with anger (laughs) for me and I'm gonna say probably for most of you um, again I don't know you but this is just my understanding of human nature uh, anger mostly produces a prison mostly we are trapped in our anger We get stuck in a cycle or we just think about this and we think about this and we think about this and we just can't get out. It doesn't bring us to do anything productive. It doesn't bring us to do anything good and righteous. It just creates a prison that we get trapped in. Um, The last part of what Jesus says here. When you are on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you will be thrown Into prison, And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you have paid the last penny. Now I know that Jesus in this instance is talking about um, debt that people have and that they get thrown into prison until they pay it off, but I truly do think that anger is something that produces a debt for us. That we can look at this metaphorically, if you will, and say that when we are angry and when we let those things out of us, it causes damage and destruction, and it traps us uh, in a certain place that is hard for us to get out of. Our emotional outbursts, the bitterness we hold on to against others, uh, a brutal and unforgiving heart that leads to a desire for vengeance or glee at the destruction of lives traps us in a prison. I truly believe that there is always a price to pay with anger. I've seen this in my own life, that it isolates us It alienates others, it controls us, it destroys, uh, it diminishes the value of other people. And in this way, anger is murder as it kills and destroys. And that we won't be free until we pay the last penny of our consequences when we have given into anger. In one of my previous churches, a man joined an important ministry team. Uh, Immediately this individual began to, from my perspective, overstep their bounds. That we were meant to operate as a team and they, with their authority and power, began operating on their own to get done what they wanted to do. They began to flex their authority and ignore or abuse one of our staff members. I went to talk with them about it. And this person at first wouldn't listen to or or see my point, so I yelled. And then they yelled, and it went like that for a while. (laughs) Eventually, and I don't even remember how, we both calmed down and came to what seemed like a healthy conclusion, Uh, which I should have been incredibly suspicious of, (laughs) but I don't think that I'd learned that uh, anger is not very helpful in these situations. At our next team meeting, um, that person announced that they were done with the team. And from that point on, uh, after they had stepped away from it, they didn't talk about you know, our meeting or anything like that, and, and, and that was um, at least not at that place. Uh, but from that point on, this individual seemed to be looking for the things that I did wrong uh, and the reasons that I wasn't doing my job the way that I should or, or the way that they thought that I should. Um, and it was a part of why I saw that it was time for me to resign and to leave. It wasn't my only uh, reason for being done, but my anger in relationships uh, played a huge part in me no longer being in my career as a pastor. I paid that price, and um, I think I am still, to a degree, paying that price a little bit. Trapped in a prison of my own making, um, but still working with God (laughs) uh, to find my freedom. I don't want anger to control you because the price is very high. And I think that that um, is what I see uh, within this passage that Jesus talks about as he looks at anger own your anger, deal with it directly and promptly, um, and let's thank God that Jesus has paid the price uh, for, for our freedom uh, from our sin. Let's pray. Jesus, you are so good. You are kind, you are loving, you are fair. In the way you deal with us, God, you deal um, with us with such grace, with such uh, mercy, Uh, We see that within Scripture and we see that within our own lives. God, maybe we've forgotten that. Maybe it's been so long since we have brought the darkness in our hearts to you that we don't remember that you are kind, that we don't remember that you are fair in how you kind of pull these things out of us, that you are gentle. That you are good. So Father, whatever has come up in our own hearts this morning, would you remind us that you are right there waiting for us. That you love us. You rejoice over us. And God, that is the, the prodigal son um, coming home in shame from the things that he's done, sees his father running at him with open arms. God, you uh, do the same for us. Father, for the prisons that we have created in our lives, we, we, I ask and, and beg that you give us freedom. You're not done with us, none of us. You're not finished with any of us. (laughs) God, you teach us things in our suffering. Uh, As Paul was in prison many times, you taught him many, many things. And God, you uh, free him from those things, and, and we understand, God, that you free us as well. So for us that need freedom, we pray that you would provide it. God, would you show us the way? Would you reveal things to us that we need to see? And would you give us the courage to admit Uh, to confess, uh, and to move beyond uh, those things that we hold on to. Thank you for your son, Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who has done everything uh, and given everything for us, that we may be made right with you, that we may be be made right with one another, and that we may experience uh, true and total freedom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.